in the media houses, all those that are watching our portfolio committee through this platform or through any media platform. Good morning. Honorable members, uh, today we are to continue where we left off uh, last Wednesday when we were dealing with clause by clause of our expropriation bill number 23 of 2020, a bill which is there to repeal an existing act, expropriation act of 1976, 75. So we are here to finish what we have started. We are going to start with chapter five today, clause number 12. But it would be very wrong of me not to remind you, honorable members, as we discussed, as we have previously done so, that we are looking at what the people of South Africa said. We are looking that whatever that we discuss here is within the ambits of the law, because one of the major reasons is that we want an act that talks to the current constitution that is the Constitution of South Africa, which was adopted in 1996. So it is very crucial that whatever that we do, we must really understand that. Lastly, dare we not forget where we're coming from. I think yesterday, when the president was speaking in the Human Rights Day in Northwest, one of the things that he mentioned is that the recent survey has shown that South Africa is one of the most unequal countries. And that inequality is glaring across the racial lines. When we deal with this bill, we must remember that. We must remember where we're coming from, we must ensure that a bill is passed in parliament that will talk on the transformation of this country. A bill that will talk on what the government can do when there is a public interest, especially in terms of properties. We must remember that We'll never forget those who died in the hands of the brutal police of apartheid on the 21st of March, 1960. We'll never, we'll never. We enjoying freedom today because their blood nurtured this freedom. We must, as we discuss honorable members, as we discuss honorable members, try that we come or we converge into something so that this country may not go back to where it was before. With those few words, honorable members, I welcome you all in this um, meeting. And as we continue with our, 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 our deliberations and discussions, uh, 
can you flight um, Mr. Shoaib uh, chapter 5 uh, clause number 12 we will start with with that one Chairperson is I'm just checking yeah it is visible um may I continue chair Yes, yes, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Chapter 5 deals with compensation for expropriation um, and determination of compensation. 12.1. The amount of compensation to be paid to an expropriated owner or expropriated holder must be just and equitable, reflecting an equitable balance between the public interest and the interest of the expropriated owner or expropriated holder having regard to all relevant circumstances, including A, the, the current use of the property, B, the history of the acquisition and use of the property, C, the market value of the property, D, the extent of direct state investment and subsidy in the acquisition and beneficial capital improvement of the property, and E, the purpose of the expropriation. 12 sub 2, in determining the amount of compensation to be paid in terms of this act, the expropriating authority must not, unless there are special circumstances in which it would be just and equitable to do so, take account of, <clears throat> I'm just paging, The expropriating authority must not, unless there are special circumstances in which it would be just and equitable to do so, take account of A, the fact that the property has been taken without the consent of the expropriated owner or expropriated holder, B, the special suitability or usefulness of the property for the purpose for which it is required by the expropriating authority, if it is unlikely that the property would have been purchased for that purpose in the open market. C, any enhancement in the value of the property, if such enhan en enhancement is a consequence of the use of the property in a manner which is unlawful. D, improvements made to the property in question after the date on which the, the notice of expropriation was served upon the expropriated owner or expropriated holder, as the case may be, except where the improvements were agreed to in advance by the expropriating authority or where they were undertaken in pursuance of obligations entered into before the date of expropriation. E, anything done with the object of obtaining compensation, therefore, and F, any enhancement <clears throat> or depreciation before or after the date of service uh, of the notice of expropriation in the value of the property in question, which can be directly attributed to the purpose in connection with which the property was expropriated. 12 sub 3, it may be just and equitable for no compensation to be paid where land is expropriated in, in the public interest, having regard to all relevant circumstances, including but not limited to a, 3A, where the land is not being used and the owner's main purpose is not to develop the land or use it to generate income. 
but to benefit for, from appreciation of its market value. Where an organ of state holds land, 3 sub B, where an organ of state holds land that it is not using for its core functions and is not reasonably likely to require the land for its future activities in that regard. And the organ of state acquired the land for no consideration. 3C, notwithstanding registration, registration of ownership in terms of the Deeds Registry, Re Registries Act uh, 1937, that's Act 47 of 1937, where an owner has abandoned the land by failing to exercise control over it. D, where the market value of the land is equivalent to or less than the present value of direct state investment or subsidy in the acquisition and beneficial capital improvement of the land. And E, when the nature or condition of the property poses a health, safety, or physical risk to persons, other persons or other property. 12 sub 4, when a court or arbitrator determines the amount of compensation in terms of 15, my apologies, that 15 is a part of a line reading. When a court or arbitrator determines the amount of compensation in terms of Section 23 of the Land Reform Labor Tenants Act 96, uh, Act Number 3 of 1996, it may be just and equitable for no compensation to be paid, having regard to all relevant circumstances. Chair, I am handing to you for facilitation for the for 12 and its subsections. And thank you, um, Mr. Shuaib. I now invite honorable members to deliberate on um, clause 12 with its subsections. Subsection one, subsection two, up to four. As you know, honorable members, you are allowed, I'm not giving you any, uh, say five minutes or two minutes. I would, like you, I would like you to express yourself up to your satisfaction. Um, uh, it's honorable Graham Murray. Last time I said all members have to speak. Um, uh, honorable Suisa, honorable Matebula, uh, in terms of hands, uh, if then, after Honorable Matebula, there are still other hands, I will then um, point to those hands. Honorable Kayamare, Honorable Sengwisa, Honorable Matebula, in that order, Honorable Members, thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. And you might regret giving us an unlimited time on this because obviously this is the most contentious um, part of the entire bill. Um, and, and in light of what you said earlier um, at the beginning of the meeting, I'd like to preface my inputs on this section by citing from the book Land Matters, which I'm busy reading, by advocate um, Tembeka Nkukaitobi. I had to get help to pronounce that name, Nkukaitobi. And he said, just compensation, which has not been defined, is based on the idea of justice. Expropriation in the public interest is not intended to cause future injustices, 
but rather to reverse past injustices. Close quote. He then states further, the focus should be on striking the proper equilibrium between the interests of the nation in land reform, the landless, and those who must ultimately give up the land. Close quote. And I think I think this is a very balanced um, approach with respect to to the idea of compensation. Um, I'd like to further state that I believe that the section is no longer valid and constitutional. Um, and I will I will explain why I say that. Um, there are, in respect of the compensation clause, there's only one example of a country where a constitutional amendment failed to pass and where the government then proceeded to implement it through ordinary legislation, and that was in Venezuela. A proposed constitutional amendment through which it was to entrench Venezuela as a socialist state was defeated in a referendum, but then implemented via ordinary laws. The rest, as they say, is history. Nevertheless, given that the 25th Amendment Bill did not pass, the Expropriation Bill needs to be redrafted to be consistent with the Constitution as it stands. Insistence to retain the current wording will render this bill unconstitutional, not only because of that inconsistency, but also because it will be an attempt to amend the Constitution through ordinary legislation rather than through a process that complies with the requirements set out in the Constitution for a constitutional amendment. It cannot be argued that the bill in its current format does not seek to amend the substance of the constitutional provisions contained in Section 25. If it was previously agreed and accepted that a constitutional amendment would be necessary to enable null compensation and expropriation without compensation, then it cannot be enacted through the back door by this bill, given that the constitutional amendment did not pass. So in light of that fact, public participation on the expropriation bill was conducted on the current version of the bill as inextricably linked to the now defunct 25th constitutional amendment bill. It will in all probability be necessary now to subject this clause particularly, irrespective of whether it's amended or not, to fresh public participation, given that the constitutional amendment did not pass. South Africans must be consulted again on the way forward in light of the changed circumstances. That being said, um, we obviously need to make inputs um, on, on, the, on the clauses that exist. So while we do not dispute that just an equitable compensation might amount to null compensation, the converse does not apply. By identifying specific incidences where no compensation is applicable, this bill is already making a determination on the value of the compensation as being just and equitable, which requires a proper assessment, which this clause actually renders unnecessary. In addition, Section 25.2b states that the amount of compensation, the time and manner of the payment thereof, must have been agreed to by those affected or approved by a court. This section completely eliminates consensus and it usurps the authority of the judiciary because it predetermines the amount of, of compensation to be nil in these defined circumstances. This contravenes the doctrine of separation of powers. In addition, a recent judgment in the Landclaves Court found that in determining just and equitable, the full market value must be the starting point when no other factors, such as those covered by Section 25.3 of the Constitution, apply. So I wish to place on record that this clause is, in our opinion, now unconstitutional 
and should be removed in its entirety on the basis of the aforementioned points. However, in light of the fact that we are debating it and we haven't removed it yet, um, my inputs are as follows. On section 12.1, it says there the amount of compensation to be paid um, to an expropriated owner or expropriated holder. So first of all, the Minerals Council suggested that this should include and the time and manner of payment. So it should say the amount of compensation and the time and manner of payment, because that aligns with sections 25.2b and 25.3 of the Constitution, in which it is, it's clearly stated. This might also affect the timelines. So if we're giving effect to the Constitution with this bill, then it cannot exclude time and manner of payment. Also, it says expropriated owner or expropriated holder. And the question is, why is it or and not and or? And what happens if both qualify for compensation? Um, the list is flawed in that consideration should also include the mortgage. The amount cannot be calculated without due regard to what is owed on the mortgage in terms of the relevant circumstances. And the principle of equivalence needs to be applied. This principle states that affected owners should be neither impoverished or enriched as a result of expropriation. This is extremely important when we're looking at just and equitable as well, because nobody should be impoverished and nobody should be enriched. Also, it bears mentioning that while public interest has given great significance in this section, there were the forced removals conducted under the Native Administration Act of 1927, which I quoted last week, with only one restriction being that it must be deemed to be expedient in the general public interest. Again, I reiterate that public interest is too vague and creates a very broad set of circumstances that can be abused as it was during the forced removals. Subsection 2A. The fact that the property has been taken without the consent of the expropriated owner or expropriated holder, Saka Liche and their input highlighted this point, and they say that in their submission, we're not dealing with criminals, although there are people who believe that the land was stolen, the existing owners are not people who stole the land. They may have, may have benefited from it, but they didn't. They weren't the actual land thieves. So the people we are dealing with now are not criminals. They're innocent people who are having their property taken away from them without their consent. In other words, expropriation should not be used as a punitive action and should accordingly provide for compensation of the expropriated owner or holder. Section 25.3 of the Constitution states that compensation must be calculated having regard to all relevant factors. And Sarkalicha, and, and I agree with them, believe that the property being taken away without the consent of the owner is a very important factor. Right, now we get to the big, the big ones, subsection three. So this relates to land. The problem is, is that land for purposes of the section has not been defined. Property is defined in the act, and a land parcel is, de is defined in the Act, but not land. So does this include improvements, sectional title, other aspects? And this supports my recommendation that a narrower definition of property would better suit the needs of this bill than the all-encompassing reference to Section 25, which creates confusion. And where we discuss the actual um, individual um, instances, if one thinks about um, a property, say, in the center of the city of Cape Town, where a, a, an abandoned building has been invaded, would that qualify under this? But it's not defined as land. So the land, the land issue in this, in this bill remains an issue. 
um, and the definition of property remains an issue. Also under section, uh, subsection three, it says, but not limited to, and again, in, in, our, in our own um, submissions and in and various others from other people, this phrase is extremely dangerous as it creates expectations of any number of applications. This should be removed. It should either be a finite list or there should be nothing specified because it does not stipulate as to what who determines what other uh, circumstances may apply. In other words, anybody can make a determination that the not limited to applies to something else. There's no um, specifics around how that determination would be made, um, and that opens it up to abuse. Subsection 3A. So this speaks to um, where somebody owns more than one property. So this clause discourages speculation and dissuades investors. We understand that land is emotive and that there are many people who want land. And this makes it difficult to justify people owning land and not using it. And I fully agree. It's, it's, it's heinous. However, land speculation is a legitimate form of work. The Mineral Councils go so far as to say that this clause contravenes Section 9, which is equality, and Section 22, which provides for the right to freedom of trade, occupation, and profession and that that might render this clause unconstitutional. In addition, there might be reasons why the land is not being used. People could be waiting for planning permissions. They could be holding it for their children when they grow up. A legitimate owner should not be penalized. Subsection 3B, this clause puts the purpose of the state against the purpose of the expropriation. And in that case, which of these should have precedence? Subsection 3C, this cannot be sufficient cause as the failure to exercise control may not be the fault of the owner. Abandoned land is not defined. However, it is common cause that for it to be deemed abandoned, the owner must have relinquished control as well as abandoned the intention, the intention to own the property. If both of these are present, the property is deemed to be res derelicta and no longer belong to the owner. The judgment in Club Boudere supports this. The owner was awarded damages because the state failed to protect his property rights, despite him having lost effective control of his property due to a land invasion. It doesn't make sense then to legislate for null compensation on the same basis. It's also worth bearing in mind that as long as a person's name appears on the title, that person is the owner, unless that person died intestate with no beneficiaries or if the property was owned by a company that deregistered. If this clause is retained, there should be a detailed process to determine loss of control and abandonment as part of the subsection. This clause could also promote land invasions to force, for example, the development of housing, and it also places control of the land above ownership and the rights of title deed holders. Subsection 3D. Starkelecher raised the concern around perpetual expropriation, where a beneficiary of expropriation or land reform could have their land taken away for no compensation, which would be extremely unfair. It's also worth establishing if this applies to property that was bought after it was invested in by the state. And then Detoy versus Minister of Transport stated that you start with market value. You subtract, you subtract the state investment value. And where the difference is less or null in terms of market value, null compensation would be acceptable. And as such, that actually renders this clause superfluous because it's already legislated in such a way that it, that it would apply. Thank you. 
subsection 3E. There's no reason why this would warrant null compensation. Would this qualify after it was already earmarked for expropriation or will it be expropriated because it poses a health risk? And then why would government burden itself? Who determines the risk? What degree of risk qualifies? What about illegal dumping sites or other filthy areas? Do they qualify? A, quantifi a quantifiable risk should be stipulated to and the costs to remedy should exceed the market value to justify this. Before I move on, I would like to emphasize again that I deem that this entire subsection is unconstitutional as these amendments were not made in the constitution um, in, in the um, constitutional amendment um, of um, section 25 and as such cannot be legislated as a backdoor into, the into a constitutional amendment. Finally, clause four, um, Sarkelecha feels that this clause gives persons with inferior claims more rights to the property than the owner, which is problematic. I agree. Also, attempting to address an administrative mess, like the processing of claims, through legislation is unacceptable. There are 20,000 outstanding claims that need to be processed. This clause will have no effect on that, and it will just reduce rights. Um, so... It is, it is my opinion as well that this, that this clause should be removed. That is my input on section 12. Thank you very much for the time and opportunity, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Grandmother. Honorable Suiza. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, I'm going to keep my video off if it's allowed. I'm, I'm worried about network, but I'm moving to another place that has got the better network. Chair, mine is going to be... Please, please don't move. When you are speaking, just continue. We'll allow you not to use your video. Uh, then after speaking, Honorable Simisa, can you please continue? All right. All right. Uh, Chair, mine is going, to be, is going to be very brief. It's going to be very brief. Uh, I'm going to focus on, on, on the property in use. We talk about property in use. We talk about the bill talks about history of acquisition and the use of property and the market value. So we all know how the property, how the history of acquisition of any property in South Africa, we all know where it comes from. But if the clause says that somebody is going to be compensated based on the history of acquisition, and we know that all that property and the land in South Africa has been stolen. So how do you determine that the acquisition, the history of acquisition is valued? Because people were moved from better places to be dumped in places that do not, that they cannot be able to take themselves or take their lives better or because we know of people that were moved from very productive land and then they were dumped on land where they can't even plant or plow or have their cattle to be able to sustain themselves. So history of, of, of acquisition is going to be irrelevant in this case that if we say this person has got the title deed, they are the rightful owner. As I've listened to uh, Honorable Graham saying that 
those people, but the, those people are not the ones that stole the land. But from where they got the land, the people that were on that land before are the rightful owners. And now we are being, the bill speaks about history of acquisition. And we all know how the acquisition, how the, 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 the whole property was acquired. No rightful, it was not rightfully acquired. Thus, it cannot be compensated, which means we go for all the land and property in, in South Africa. The, the bill speaks about possible compensation, which is clause 12.1a, what's specific to 12.1a, b, 12, uh, 11, and 11e, the purpose of expropriation. It's for the interest of all South Africans. So if it's for the interest of all South Africans to expropriate property or land, then the same people that the land is being expropriated from are also going to benefit from South Africa. So why should we spend money that is not there to, 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 to compensate people that are going at the end of the day, going to be the ones that are also going to benefit from the same land that has been expropriated. So all South Africans are going to benefit. So at this moment, South Africa does not have money. We, we are billing on money that is not there. And we are saying that the bill says people, there must be possible comp compensation for expropriation. And yet the people that are going to be paid are also going to benefit from the land that has been expropriated. 12.2, special, special circumstances. What special circumstances are there that need to determine whether a person is going to be compensated? Because if we speak about special circumstances, everybody's going to have special circumstances. And in that manner, that, that loss also, at this moment, if, we are, if the bill was saying that nil compensation, then there shouldn't be any special circumstances to determine uh, uh, who's going to be compensated. What informs that? There are certain these circumstances are special. What does the bill say? What do we say? Special circumstances. We need to compensate because of special circumstances. What are we referring to when we talk about special circumstances? No compensation is for the public interest. Only when land, and then they say that only when land is not in use or any purpose of using, whether the land is used or not used. All the land needs to be expropriation with nil compensation. Because at this moment, it takes me back to what I said, that acquisition, the history of acquisition of the land or property. We might get different versions as to how the, the property was acquired. But those that are the rightful owners are still sitting without land. We still find people that have been moved from their properties and been dumped on land that is so stony that they can't do anything on, 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 on the property. So the whole, the whole clause 12, when I look at it, when we speak about the history, the special circumstances, we all know that there are going to be special circumstances, but how do you define special circumstances in this, in this, in this, in this issue? How do you define the genuine history of acquisition of the property when we speak about those 12. For now, I'll stop there, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Suisa. Honorable Matsebula. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Uh, my greetings to you, uh, the whip of the committee members and the administration. 
Uh, so, well, let me start uh, by saying that uh, as the ANC component in this uh, committee, we are fully behind the format in which the bill uh, it is. We have no intention whatsoever to make uh, amendments because I feel that the, the bill is in line with the supreme law of the country, which is the constitution. Well, I I had Honourable uh, Graham, uh, you know, saying that the uh, the section that we are dealing with uh, is actually not um, uh, not in line with the constitution, or should I say that the section twenty five of the constitution uh, is no longer valid and and relevant? Uh, I think. Uh, one should not say that because my understanding is that for a, a, a clause in a particular legislation to be invalid and uh, irrelevant, uh, there must be an amendment to it. If that clause is still there, as Section 25 of the Constitution, it remains valid and it remains relevant. And I must also say, Chair, that uh, the, when the presenter started to present uh, from the committee, uh, from the side of the administration, spoke, spoke directly to Section 25. Um, when you speak of a sex, a Clause 12, Subsection 1, Clause 12, Subsection 1 was directly taken from the constitution, uh, that is uh, section 25, subsection three of the constitution. Now, this bill say, is in line with the constitution and any person who feels that the bill is not in line with the constitution, we have always been saying that this is a country wherein uh, everybody has a right to approach our competent courts of the law. Um, so they make the uh, uh, approach the courts uh, in order for them to uh, seek a, a through an application seek an invalidation of uh, of that particular section. But uh, I must also speak about section um, that is uh, clause um, uh, twelve, uh, subsection uh, two. Um, no, no, that is uh, clause 12, subsection 3, Um, You know, clause uh, 12, subsection 3, paragraph A, says when the land is not being used and the owner's main purpose is not to develop the land or use it to generate income, but to benefit from um, appreciation of its market. So when you deal with this particular bill, why would you uh, allow a, a person or even a state organ, because B of this subsection also speaks of a state organ, where the land is not being used, why would you allow such individuals or state organ to have a land that is not used? Instead of taking that land, and use that land to the benefit of the public. And 
even the, in this particular instance, Chair, the, the law, the bill speaks of the interests of the public and it speaks of those that are actually affected, including that person who is not, um, you know, using that particular leg, is going to be taken into account or into consideration uh, because the current setup of our constitutional, uh, uh, you know, um, arrangement in this country does not allow um, for one to arbitrarily take land or property without the involvement of the, the other party who's affected by the expropriation. And I must also say, Chair, that uh, when you, you speak of nil uh, compensation, Chair, nil compensation, no one is going to respect it. I must, I, must, uh, I must say that this particular bill is not made for particular uh, people or people of a particular uh, a color. Any person will be affected by this bill. And conditions that are going to make in terms of, uh, you know, that person to be compensated or that person to be nil compensated um, are going to be taken into consideration. Now, Chair, if you look at um, Section 25, Subsection 3, it speaks of just an, equi an equitable uh, compensation. So even if you, you, you are to nil compensate a person, that must be just and equitable. So there is in no way, Chair, where one can say that uh, we are, as the African National Congress, as we are leading this uh, um, proposal of the bill, uh, that uh, uh, people will, whose, whose land will be expropriated, all of them will be compensated. It's not true. There are certain conditions that are set by the, uh, you know, by the, by the, the bill itself. I have read one of them or if not two of them, wherein the land is actually unused. Uh, that's where, uh, you know, need compensation is going to creep in and, and have the land expropriated. And say, uh, section um, close uh, 12, subsection, subsection 4, it also speaks uh, of the court. So, yeah, it says, when a court or arbitrator determines the uh, the amount of comp compensation of Section 23 of the Land Reform Act, uh, it may be just and equitable for nil compensation to be paid, having regard to all relevant circumstances. Yet uh, this uh, bill does not only speak about the authority uh, that has been empowered in terms of this bill to deal with nail compensation, even the courts, the arbitrators are being empowered by this bill to look at equitable and just, um, you know, um, compensation to a person who is affected by expropriation. But as I close, um, in a way, I can agree with someone who would say, uh, you know, this uh, bill is open to abuse. No, no, no. We have said it in the past that 
any person uh, might be the minister, uh, any person who is, uh, uh, you know, permitted to expropriate a particular property, that person will have to work within the framework that is there uh, to which the parliament, because this is not only the framework, legal framework that we are talking about. You've got your constitution, you've got your your your, your promotion of uh, promotion, uh, uh, you know, um, promotion of access to justice act, um, which is actually larger. Wherein, when you are affected by an administrative act, then you must be informed that section section four of that particular. Uh, you know, uh, a, a piece of legislation. There are many other pieces of legislations that are, that will be inform the expropriation of uh, a property as as part of this particular bill. And 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 chair, in no way uh, one can also agree to say uh, this is going to scare away investors. Look, the, the bill that we are talking about, as we are speaking, we are open to the public. In fact, we are talking to the world. Uh, this bill has been coming a long way. And people have been, you know, reading about what is happening in South Africa. Guess what, Jay? Investment has been coming. People have been showing interest that, uh, uh, you know, we are going to expropriate land. Uh, there is no fear whatsoever. We know that we are a ruling party uh, as we speak. We have taken a decision in 2017 that we are going to expropriate. Uh, no one has actually uh, decided to, to pull out uh, in terms of investment or supporting South Africa in terms of uh, trades. So we continue to, to grow uh, economically. Well, where we drop, we drop because for instance, we've got the issue of COVID-19, but not because of the fear that people there's going to be an expropriation of land. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Yes, sir. No, I, the other hands, uh, okay, Honorable Njobo, Honorable Shabalala, and Honorable Franz Galvik. I don't know, uh, Honorable Sivisa, whether it's a second hand or a legal hand. Honorable Suiza? Okay. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, thank you. Honorable Chobo, Honorable Palala, then lastly, Honorable Franz Calvi. In that order, please. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, okay, we, we have uh, said. It. Honorable Mjobo, first uh, Honorable Shabalala, Honorable Mjobo, then Honorable Shabalala, then Honorable Fazkalvi. Okay. Okay. Honorable Mjobo. Oh, good morning, Honorable. Well, I don't know what I'm saying. Okay, thank you, thank you, Chairperson, uh, for the opportunity. Uh, I'd like to to align myself with the input done by Honorable Matibula. Uh, I'm very covered, and I'm very happy with his input. Uh, 
The chapter five is very important and the clause is transparent and balanced. The spirit and intent of the deal is to advance the expropriation of the land in the public interest and in order to redress the land injustice of the past. Thank you, Chairperson. I'm very happy with the input done by Honorable Matibo. Thank you, Honorable Chabo. Honorable Shabalala. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Um, I'm also partly covered, but I would like to say, uh, Chairperson, my take will be that um, nothing should be uh, taken out of uh, this part of the bill. The reason being that uh, this uh, bill is not uh, exhaustive, uh, but also it's transformative. It even further, there is a part of access to courts where even if maybe I'm forward to myself, um, everyone has the right to have any dispute that can be resolved. Application of law decide in a fair public hearing before a court or where appropriate. Meaning that uh, it's, it's, it's also meaning that this bill is inconsistent with the constitution. So anything that is tested against the constitution, if it passes the, the consistent with the, the constitution, I don't think there is a problem. But the issue of expropriation is not news to South Africa. Um, Chairperson, if you would recall and look around, there is a Spornet or Transnet rail line that goes through uh, all the areas with the farms. There are road networks, even in our province, that goes through a certain farm taking a certain portion of the farm. But it's not even new because even here in Cape Town, you had some examples of the expropriation of the land. Without any compensation, there is even some cases where you have the sports ground being expropriated and worse when it's, it's not even in the interest of the public. Ourselves as, as members of parliament, we are public representatives. So for any, any interest, or any emphasis will be around, I think we need to agree that anything that we stand for will be uh, around if anything is in the interest of the public, as it is emphasized in this bill. Um, Chairperson, uh, I also wish to uh, say that this bill is in line with section uh, uh, 25 of the constitution as it stands. This bill was never dependent on the amendments of section 25. So we should not be um, confused or confuse ourselves around these this, uh, issues. The provisions found in section 12 do not negate consensus 
as consensus is entrenched in section 25 uh, 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 section 20 section 25 subsection 2 so chairperson my take will be that um, i am comfortable uh, also with the issue that the constitution allows for nil rent in compensation it is part of all our international trade remember when you talk about the issue of the investors the investors even in their own countries they are aware of the of of the 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 land acquisition and how do they go about but the south africa's government here is part of the international agreement thank you so much Thank you, Honorable Shabalala. Honorable Franz Kalveig. Thank you very much, Chairperson, uh, for the opportunity. I'm mostly covered by the previous speakers. Just to re-emphasize, Chairperson, that uh, we shouldn't confuse uh, this bill, which we are dealing with, uh, named the expropriation bill, with the amendment of the section 25 of the constitution like many of the inputs uh, confused when we were doing the uh, public hearings so i would therefore urge our members to to be very uh, concise and, and 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 straight to the point but not confuse the two bills but also chairperson uh, i would uh, concur with, with the previous speakers in terms of our international trade agreements, which uh, makes provision not for compensation, uh, expropriation without compensation, but uh, for no compensation. And this is a practice globally uh, with regards to many countries, uh, Chairperson. It's not a new phenomenon uh, globally. And I think that's the reason why this uh, bill is, is, is proposed to streamline and, and to monitor that there's no such thing like land grabs taking place, but that we ensure that uh, things are taking place in a very uh, 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 managed uh, uh, position. And chairperson, We've had different opinions like the state, uh, chief state law advisor as well as advocate Butlender's opinion, which also refers us that the issue of, of um, expropriation without compensation is not provided for, and we are not talking about that. But what we are referring to is the issue of no compensation, and that is, is afforded for. And also, Chairperson, I totally agree with Honorable Shabalala when she says that the issue of, of expropriation is not a new thing in our country. And the DA is always proud when they say where they govern, and then they will stipulate. But what they are not uh, telling the, the uh, members uh, of our society is where they are governing in the Western Cape. It's a regular phenomenon that expropriation without compensation, not necessarily in the public interest, uh, uh, are taking place. 
and is just silent. And uh, those phenomenons uh, or the, 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 what's been happening in Woodstock and, and areas like in your book, it, it, it is to the disadvantage of uh, previous disadvantaged uh, individuals of, of our country. And they are not being consulted. They, like uh, what we are doing in, in, in trying to ensure that this uh, bill is, pro, uh, uh, is ensured, uh, there's no public uh, consultation taking place. And uh, there's uh, some land that's been sold to developers taken from, from our people. And it's not in the public interest and it's uh, for profit making by by uh, developers in in advancing uh, uh, the interest of, of of the previously advantaged so we as as saying chairperson that we strongly agree that no clauses should be uh, retracted or removed the bill should uh, proceed as it stands and we as the anc support it like that thank you very much Uh, thank you, um, Honorable Fans Kalvik, um, and in fact, thank you all the honorable members that that contributed on on this clause. Um, I don't know whether is um, the advocate Fan Brada. Uh, are you here today, Bumi? Where are you also yes, here? Okay. Any comments on this? Clause. Sorry, Chair, just, yes, just before Advocate Fran Breda comes in, um, um, I would like to tender Pume's apology. She is currently on leave. Thanks, Chair. Oh, so, so no one has uh, replaced you? Ms. Martinez, no one is not that, here? Not that I know of, Chair. No, not. Uh, oh, okay. Okay, 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 okay. But maybe before you come in, um, Advocate Van Breda, in the opinion that you gave us that you presented to this portfolio committee, I would like to take honorable members on, 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 on some of the issues that you presented to us. Um, when you described uh, the office of the chief state law advisor, uh, the issue of compensation, I think it's paragraph 56 in your presentation. It reads as follows. As held by the Constitutional Court in the FNB judgment, the protection of property as an individual right in terms of Section 25 of the Constitution is not absolute, but subject to societal considerations. And that the purpose of Section 25 is not merely to protect private property, but also to advance the public interest in relation to property. I think that point is very crucial when we deal with this bill. And uh, when you presented this uh, to us, we were trying to explain this clause 12 and its sub-clauses, that this bill is trying to advance the um, interest of the public. Then the interest of the public cannot then be less than the interest of the private owners. But nevertheless, our constitution protects 
everyone in this country. Thank you. Over to you, Advocate Fanbreda. Thank you, Chair. Um, my apologies for, for joining the meeting uh, so late. Um, it was my, apparently my misunderstanding as well as the parliamentary advisors understanding that the meeting would commence tomorrow and the Tuesday meetings would can, then commence next week. But I think there was some miscommunication and that's probably why the parliamentary advisor is on leave today. However, Chair, um, I'd like to just refer or to address some of the the issues or concerns raised in respect of, of Clause 12. Uh, indeed, Chair, we did in our legal opinion dated the 23rd of February um, discuss the Constitutional Court judgments um, which we believe the committee should take into consideration in considering Clause 12. Um, and in respect of Clause 12.3, which provides for mill compensation, specifically the Constitutional Court judgment of FNB and the Land Claims Court judgment of FIC, in which those courts ruled that there they are appropriate circumstances which it is permissible for legislation in the broader public interest to deprive persons of property without payment of compensation. Um, regarding the, the instances in which no compensation may be offered as listed in 12, uh, clause 12.3, I believe the department has indicated in its previous presentation that it intends to propose amendments to that list, specifically subclause 3C, which provides for the abandonment of, abandonment of property. Um, so I would say that the department is best placed to, to address the concerns raised in respect of, of those instances under subclause 3. Chair, in respect of the, the concern raised in respect of mortgage bonds existing on land um, where null compensation may be offered, Chair, the, the committee must, be, must take note of Section 25.3 of the Constitution which provides that the amount of compensation and the time and manner of payment must be just and equitable, reflected an equitable balance between the public interest and the interests of those affected in regard to all relevant circumstances. And there it lists a non-restrictive list of, of those, uh, of, set of examples of, of such circumstances. Now, clause 12, one of the bill is identical to section 25.3 of the constitution. Now, the bill in Clause 12 only provides limited in Now, the bill does not expressly provide that null compensation will be considered where a mortgage bond exists in respect of the land concern. The bill does expressly provide, in accordance with Section 25.3 of the Constitution, that the amount of compensation must be just and equitable reflecting an equitable balance between the public interest and the interests of the expropriated owner or the expropriated holder. Now, the provisions in the bill in respect of mortgage bonds are virtually identical to those provisions in the current Expropriation Act. Now, regarding the expropriation of land for null compensation where a mortgage bond exists on such land, it must be determined whether null compensation for such an expropriation would be just and equitable. 
and whether it would reflect an equitable balance between the public interest and the interests of those affected. Now, this is for ultimately a, cons- a court to decide upon whether such an equitable balance exists and whether um, in the respect of, of an offer of, of no compensation for such land. Now, Chair, um, regarding the expropriation, as discussed in the opinion, an expropriation cannot be arbitrary, as held in the F&B judgment and other constitutional court judgments. Now, the meaning of arbitrary means that where the expropriation is not for good reason or is procedurally unfair. So as we discussed in, in the opinion further, that the court held that where an expropriation is indeed regarded as arbitrary, it must be it must be considered whether such an arbitrary expropriation would be just and equitable in, in respect of Section 36 of the Constitution. And the, the committee should also take note of Section 25.8 of the Constitution, which provides as follows. That no provision to this section may impede the state from taking legislative and other measures to achieve land, water, and related reform in order to redress the results of past racial discrimination, provided that any departure from the provisions of this section is in accordance with the provisions of Section 36.1 of, of the, the Constitution. So, Chair, the bill does provide that no expropriation of land may be, may be arbitrary. That would then include instances where land would have a mortgage bond on such property. So it would have to be determined ultimately if there is indeed, uh, if it would be just inequitable for no compensation to be offered for such land. Um, thank you, Chair. That's, I don't have any further comments. Thank you, um, Advocate Van Prada, uh, for for that uh, uh, explanation, and also it assists us in in, in moving forward. We have uh, agreed as the portfolio committee that the department will respond when we are true with all the clauses. Can we then, uh, Mr. Shuaib, go to clause thirteen? A person. Oh, I didn't see your hand, uh, Honorable Primary. Yes. No problem, Chair. Um, Chair, uh, I was not aware that the Parliamentary Legal Advisor was not in the meeting. Um, I think that that is a bit of an issue. Um, And I would humbly request that the Parliamentary Legal Advisor um, revisit the inputs that have been made on, on today's meeting and provide us with a written opinion on what has been raised, please, if that would be possible. Thank you very much. No problems, thank you. Um, we go to clause number 13. Is it 13 or? It yeah. is 13 also indeed, Chairperson. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, let's Yes. I'm just paging up so that we are comfortable. We're dealing with interest on compensation. <clears throat> interest at the rate determined from time to time in terms of section 80 sub 1 sub b 
of the Public Finance, Finance Management Act, 99 Act Number 1 of 99, from the date the expropriating authority or the person on whose behalf the property was expropriated takes possession of the expropriated property, accrues on any outstanding portion of the amount of compensation payable in accordance with Section 12 and becomes payable in the manner contemplated in Section 17, provided that, A, if the expropriated owner or expropriated holder fails to comply with Section 14, sub 1, within the period referred to in that section, including any extension of such period, the amount so payable during the period of such failure and for the purposes of payment of interest is not regarded as an outstanding amount. 13b, until the claimant complies with the requirement of section 17 sub 5, the amount so payable during the period of such failure and for the purpose, purposes of the payment of interest is not regarded as an outstanding amount. 13 sub c, interest due in terms of this subsection must be regarded as having been paid on the date on which the amount has been made available or dispatched to the expropriated owner or the expropriated holder concerned by prepaid registered post or electronically transferred to his or her account, as the case may be. And D, 13D, a payment utilization or deposit of an amount in terms of section 17 sub 1, 19 sub 2, or 20 sub 2, sub, uh, my apologies, 20 sub 1 or 2, must be regarded as being a payment to the expropriated owner or an expropriated holder, and no interest accrues on any such amount as from the date on which it has been so paid, utilized, or deposited. Chair, um, I wonder whether I should continue with 14, unless um, in your facilitation you hear that um, it's prudent to just do 13 on its own. I'll wait for you, Chair. Okay, thank you, um, um, Mr. Shu'aib. Uh, maybe let's continue with 14, then we, we take questions after 14, then we deal with both 13 and 14. Thank you, Chairperson. We deal with compensation claims in 14. 14 sub 1. An owner or a holder of an unregistered right who receives a notice of expropriation in terms of section 88 sub 1 must, subject to section 25, within 20 days from the date on which that notice was served on that owner or holder, deliver or cause to be delivered to the expropriating authority a written statement, A, either confirming that the compensation is as stipulated in such notice words agreed to, or if applicable, indicating whether the offer of compensation stipulated in such notice is accepted, 14.1b, uh, if no compensation was offered, as in the case of an urgent expropriation in terms of section 22, or 
if such offer in the notice is not accepted, indicating the amount claimed by such owner or holder as just and equitable compensation. 14 sub 1c, furnishing full particulars as to how the amount contemplated in paragraph B is made up, including a copy of evaluation, other professional report, or other document that forms the basis of the compensation claimed, if any. 14.1d, if the property expropriated is land, furnishing full particulars of Roman 1, improvements on the land that in the opinion of the owner or the holder affect, um, affect the value of that land, and Roman 2, I'm just paging to make it more comfortable, all unregistered rights that exist in respect of such land that he or she is aware of, including the name and address of the holder of such unregistered right, and a copy, copy of any written instrument evidencing or giving effect to an unregistered right in his or her possession or under his or her control. E, the physical address or postal address, facsimile number and email address, if any, to or at which further documentation in connection with the expropriation must be delivered, and if such information and annexing such documentation as may be described by the minister in order to facilitate electronic payment of compensation to the expropriated owner or expropriated holder. Two, 42, sub two, that is, if the expropriated, uh, if the property expropriated is land, uh, two sub a, the expropriated owner must deliver or cause to be delivered to the expropriating authority subject to section 35 within 30 days of the expropriating authority requesting the title deed to such land, or if it is not in his or her possession or under his or her control, written particulars of the name and address of the person in whose possession or under whose control the title deed is, and to be the person, sub to be that is, the person referred to in paragraph A, in whose possession the title may be, must deliver or cause to be delivered the title deed in question to the expropriating authority within 20 days of the expropriating authority requesting it subject to section 25. That is clause 14 completed, Chair. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Chair. Um, um, honorable members, clause 13 and clause 14. Clause 13 and clause 14. Honorable Prime Thanks very much, Chairperson. Just some minor input. Um, on clause 13, um, C, um, it says the interest due in terms of this sub of this subsection must be regarded as having been paid on the date on which the amount has been made available or dispatched or whatever. I'd like to propose that the the clause is amended and that that whole part about has been made available or dispatched. Um, by prepaid registered post or electronically transferred to his his or her account, as the case may be, be amended 
to say that interest due in terms of this subsection must be regarded as having been paid on the date on which the amount has been received by the expropriated owner or holder. I don't think the fact that it's just been sent um, should be sufficient um, um, acknowledgement that that payment has been made. It must have been received by the expropriated owner or holder. And then in terms of section 14, um, I just want to ask the question, what about a bondholder? Um, they're also deemed to be the owners. So what is their role and input in all of this? Because at this stage, it's an owner or a holder of an unregistered right um, who has to respond. What about the bondholder? And then just obviously to, to be completely consistent, um, under Section 14.1e, um, I would remove facsimile because, again, that is a redundant technology and nobody is using faxes anymore. Um, those are my inputs. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Pramare. Uh, Honorable Matebula. Uh, Chair, thank you very much. Uh, well, I don't have much to say except to say, Chair, I think this is a kind of a balanced type of a of a deal, uh, Chair, which uh, takes uh, into, consider into consideration all the circumstances that uh, surround the issue of expropriation of uh, in particular when it comes to issues of payment and also, you know, the timeframes and as well as the interests that are, are concerned. Um, uh, Chair, but let me still say, Chair, that uh, uh, I I am of the view that the the bill in the in in the current form, um, it, it it covers everything uh, that you require to expropriate as 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 a state, and as such, I I see no need to make any uh, amendments that uh, unless otherwise we we want to make unnecessary amendments. But the amendments, I mean, the bill as it is now. I think Chair, it's 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 in a correct form, but Chair, let me say this: when when um, as uh, section um, uh, close to uh, thirteen uh, subparagraph uh, C uh, states that the interest will begin the moment the money is sent to the person who is whose property has been expropriated. I think for me, that's the uh, most correct one. Because remember, Che, that the moment money leaves your purse, it's no longer your money. It becomes the money of the person to whom you are sending that money. So as such, the interest must begin at that time, not when that person receives the money. Because if you are going to allow that, you are going to open up to be, you know, um, you know, to be abused by the people who will be receiving money whose property have been uh, expropriated. Because um, let me say, for instance, um, if we were to talk about issues of uh, FICA, for an example, the Financial Intelligence Center, if there's suspicion of a fund that is to be received by a particular person, FICA, in terms of FICA Act, they've got the right uh, to to intervene and stop that payment. Whose whose fault is it? Whose problem is it? It cannot you cannot make it that obviously. I'm just making an example. There are many other things that can be done, or someone can simply say that I didn't receive the money. I only received 
three two months uh, after the money left your your your, your account. So hence I said uh, when I begin to speak that uh, when I begin to to speak to say that uh, the the bill in its current form it should be accepted as it is. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, um, Honorable Matebula. Uh, I, I think, Honorable Members, we agreed that um, the post office, uh, as, as, as slow as uh, it is, must be used because there are people that rely on it. We then said that an inclusion of the electronic mail must be also done. I, I think, Honorable Grammar, the issue of the facts, there are people who still use it. Let's, let's allow all those forms be used as part of communicating in this bill. So we are covered in all aspects. So that no one will claim that uh, they are using facts and as such they didn't receive the communication because they are using facts. I think let's leave it uh, uh, like that. Maybe uh, when it is amended, when we have passed the act bill and it is an act, it will be then look when they are no longer effects. Uh, we will say effects must be must be removed. We agree that we must continue even with the post office, as you know, it it has its own challenges. So on on that one, I, I think let's let's continue. Let's not try to take out anything because we don't want to open up a gap where someone will challenge and say that uh, the the means of communication that I'm using are these and as such, then there was no communication that arrived to me because this was not used. Uh, I just wanted to come on that one. Any take, uh, Advocate Van Breda, uh, on, on the comments that have been used, uh, though they are not many by the honourable members? Chair, I don't have any inputs um, except to say that the regarding Clause 14, there, there was a valid concern that um, perhaps the the mortgagee a mortgage bondholder would, would need also need to be um, informed, and I think the department will cover that when uh, that the, the time comes to present. Okay, I am not opened. I, I think on that one we're still coming to close eighteen, which talks on property subject to mortgage or deed of sale. I think we're still coming to that. Uh, maybe it will be explained further there. Can we then continue to clause 15? Uh, trade clause 15. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, am I still visible? I think I am. Uh, yeah. Chairperson, 15 deals with Office of Compensation. Um, 15 sub 1 says, if the expropriating authority does not accept the amount claimed by a claimant in terms of section 14 sub 1, the expropriating authority must, within 20 days of delivery of the statement contemplated in that section, 
make an offer of just and equitable compensation to the claimant in writing, furnishing full particulars of how such amount is made up and calculated. Sub two, the offer of compensation contemplated in subsection one must be accompanied by copies of reports detailing how the offer of compensation was determined if the amount is different from the amount offered by the expropriating authority in terms of section sub three. Sub three of 15, the provisions of section 21 apply if a, an owner or holder of an unregistered right does not deliver a statement in terms of section 14 sub 1, or B, the claimant does not accept the offer of compensation contemplated in subsection 1 by written reply within 20 days, or within such additional time as may be permitted in terms of section 25. Uh, your permission, Chair, to continue with 16. Let's continue with 16. Request for particulars. Uh, request for particulars and offers. 16 sub 1. The expropriating authority and the claimant may from time to time in writing deliver a request for reasonable particulars regarding the claimant's claim for just and equitable compensation or the offer of just and equitable compensation, as the case may be, and particulars so requested must be furnished within 20 days of such a request. Sub two, if the expropriating authority or the claimant fails to comply with a request in terms of sub one, the requesting party may, on notice, apply to a court for an order directing the defaulting party to comply with subsection one, and the court may make such an order. Sub three, a claim for just and equitable compensation and an offer of just and equitable compensation remain in force until 3A, such compensation claimed or offered is revised by the claimant or expropriating authority as the case might be. B, the, the amount of compensation has been agreed to by the expropriating authority and the claimant. Or C, the compensation has been decided or approved by a court. I'm pausing for your facilitation, Chair. Honourable members, clause um, 15 and 16. Any takes? Honourable Grandmare. Heard um, from um, Honourable Matabula several times that he believes that nothing should be amended in this um, piece of legislation. Um, and while I accept that that's his opinion, at the end of the day, our job is to discuss this on a clause by clause basis to determine that this is the best possible piece of legislation that we can offer to our country at this stage having regard to everybody that is impacted by expropriation being the state the um, expropriated owner and the beneficiaries thereof. And again, um, we need to bear in mind that not every expropriation is a land reform issue, but there will be a number of expropriations that are done in, all, in the furtherance of the state's objectives, um, such as if they want to build a road or build a highway. So 
um, while it is it is easy to justify expropriation um, and the failure to address um, rights adequately when it is a land reform issue and the beneficiaries are people who've been unfairly prejudiced in the past, one has to bear in mind that there will be expropriations that have no emotive value whatsoever. And furthermore, um, at no point have we said that we don't agree with um, expropriation. This is repealing an existing expropriation act. In other words, expropriation has been happening um, for the last 40 years. So we have no issue with expropriation and we understand that it is a necessary um, function of, of state to be able to expropriate property in the furtherance of its um, uh, uh, projects and policies. That being said, we still need to protect people against the state um, unfairly prejudicing their rights. So under 15.2, it says the offer of, con of compensation contemplated in subsection 1 must be accompanied by copies of reports detailing how the offer of compensation was determined. And then it says if the amount is different from the amount offered in terms of section 8.3. My question is why would it be different? Um, there's, there's no reason given as to why it would di differ from, from section 8.3. Um, G, which is where it is um, clarified. So um, to me, I think we should remove um, the, the balance of the sentence from if the amount is, dif is different. Basically, all that needs to happen is that they need to, they need to provide the information on, on, how, on how it was um, um, calculated. So I don't see why, why that could be an issue. Um, the timeframes to me remain an issue, and um, I will raise it um, even more when I come on to um, Section 16. I don't think 20 days is sufficient time for people to, to be um, negotiating on something as huge as property, particularly where people, um, their entire livelihoods are invested in that property, um, or if people are living in a house and they're going to be evicted as a result of it. Um, I do believe that that 20 days is a very, very short um, time frame to, to be negotiating this level of um, contract. So that being said, on um, section 16, on clause 161, um, here we come back to the time frame. So I'm saying this can't work. There are only 20 days allowed for the consideration of a claim and an offer. Um, and, and that makes it so there's 20 days on the one side and then 20 days for the, for the counter. Um, it's a very, very short period. If you look at um, subsection 16.2, if the expropriating authority fails to comply, they may on notice apply to a court for an order um, requesting um, further information. So what we've got is, um, and I think the timeframes come in further here where they talk about the, the 20 days. Okay, so what they're saying is, is that when, when a counter offer is made, there's 20 days within which to, to respond to that. But they're saying that you can request particulars and the person that you're requesting the particulars from has to provide those within 20 days. Now, if you ask them on the 18th day of the 20-day period that you've been allocated in order to, to address the issues, they still have 20 days. But that takes you outside of the 20 days in which you are mandated in terms of this legislation to respond. So there's a bit of an issue here. There seems to be a bit of a disjuncture here between the timeframes. And then if you still can go to court, that's also going to further delay the process. And again, it's going to take you outside of the 20 days. So I do believe that 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 subsections two and three um, 
are, are kind of um, redundant because of the the fact that you can get courts involved at this point and then you still you fall without the fall outside of those time frames. Um, you know, you could have a party that withholds information um, in order to to um, push the process out. Um, so I do believe that this request for particulars and offers in terms of the timeframes offered here should should possibly be amended and p- potentially brought in earlier. And I still wish to reiterate that I do believe that the initial offer needs to come from the expropriating authority and not from the, the owner of the property. Because in terms of doing due diligence, the the state will have had um, all the information that it needs, plus all the resources that it needs to establish an idea of how much they're they're prepared to pay on that property. Um, so I still believe that we need to relook at this in terms of the balance of power, that the initial offer should be made by the state. And then um, all of this can be dealt with in the, the processing of that offer prior to um, you know, coming in with those 20 days on either side. So I'm sorry, it's a bit of a jumbled input, but um, I hope I hope that, that you you understand the point I'm making here. Thanks very much. Honourable Graham Murray, Honourable Matebula. Thank you very much, Chair. Well, Chair, let me start with the, the issue of... Uh, and offer chain. Uh, you see, Chair, we are a democratic state. If then you you own a particular property, and then the state approaches you and says, we want to expropriate this, and we are giving you uh, 5,000 rand uh, for this piece of land, I don't think that it would be still fitting within the description of a, a democratic state. You must allow the person from whom you are going to expropriate the property to say, um, for how much can you perhaps give the state this particular property? And then I say, no, I can give you 10,000. But in my view, as an expropriating state, and I say, no, I can only give you um, 8,000. After I have taken into consideration and I have requested you because the property belongs to you to say give me um a, you know um a, you know how much you want but we all know Jay, it is an open secret that people can balloon uh, values of uh, you know uh, property values of uh, uh, properties um someone may may say ask for something twenty thousand and for something that is worth you know uh, fifteen thousand right? and then that's why you know uh, we are going to make use of our own, um, you know, uh, ways and means um, using our laws that are the country structures, infrastructures that are there to determine how much exactly a value can it be. But even if that is, even that it might be the case, um, you still have to, you know, if we don't agree with that particular individual, from whom the property is expropriated, uh, we can still have the matter settled uh, between us, uh, you know, uh, by the court. Because um, if you look at um, uh, 16, um, uh, subsection 3, uh, 
Uh, it also talks about the comp- compensation that uh, has been decided or approved uh, by the court. So it means that the court is going to play a, an important role uh, in terms of uh, determining the, the compensation which uh, an, a, a property has been um, for a property which has been expropriated for that particular state organ or that particular uh, uh, individual who happens to be a, a citizen. But uh, um, I think we need to talk about this issue of uh, time frames that are given. I just want to make a a, a practical example, which I think all of us know of. Che. Um, the time frames of 20 days, um, for an example, I, I really can't see it uh, being a problem. So let me just make this example. If there is a matter that uh, was decided uh, at a high court, for an example, and then you want to uh, appeal uh, that particular matter, they will give you uh, 15 days to say, 15 days you've got 15 days after you became aware of the judgment, you know, um, you know, to, to file a notice. And then you've got 30 days, uh, you know, to file the, the application, you see. And here we are not talking about, um, you know, that the matter is going to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, to be done to discussed and so on. You, you call the whole court and everything. All what we're saying, you've got 20 days to to finish, you know, the particulars, you see. So while the courts can only give you 15 days, uh, sometimes you've got, uh, you know, um, cases that are, uh, have been there for many, many years and which needs a lot of evidence, whether documentary or oral, you know, um, but you are just only given 15 days to say, uh, give us a, a notice. So, in my view, Chair, I, I, did, I simply don't see this to be, you know, unfair. In fact, I think it's, it's, it's fair enough the time that has been, uh, um, that is being proposed for one to finish and for also the payment, uh, the payments to be made. Because another thing, we need to avoid this thing of uh, people sleeping on the job. We need to say by this time, uh, you should have uh, given a person this information as the state, and you should have paid this person by this time. And you cannot, you don't want this thing to take forever, but you need to, you know, do it as speedily as, as possible. And as we all know, Chair, that we are dealing with a very sensitive matter. And uh, the, the, the other thing is that uh, um, South Africa, under the leadership of the ANC, it's one of the best ways of dealing with the issue of expropriation of land. If you look at other uh, countries, they don't even consider the issue of uh, expropriation of land with compensation and so on, and giving you all the time frames and everything. They simply just go take the land and then it belongs to the state, and that's the end of it. But because we are a democratic state, we've got to exercise democracy in doing that. Thank you, Chair. Uh, uh, thank you, Chairperson. I, I, I think with 
history, we have our um, practical lessons. Why we are here without having distributed the land to our people is because we had an open-ended processes that did not assist us. But um, Honorable Shawalala, are you still in, or is it me? Honorable Member, also uh, say uh, an issue of the property movement. I can't remember the the exact weight the offer, so that the claimant is the one that knows that I have done this on top of what the land looks like or the property looks like. This is an additional of what I have made uh, uh, in the property because it cannot be the expropriating authority that will determine that, uh, uh, but the claimant uh, himself. This shows that this bill is not arbitrary in in its in, in its in its form um i don't know Jefferson, uh, about the issue of uh, 20 days um when you look at section 15 subsection 3b uh, it talks about uh, 20 days um but also it does give the additional time as may be permitted in terms of Section 25. To me, by implication, we we may find ourselves not having had to to push everything within this uh, 20 days because it does accommodate for the additional uh, uh, time. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, um, Honorable Shabalala, um, Advocate Van Preda. Any take on this one? Uh, yes, Chair. Regarding the, the time frame, um, the committee must also consider Clause 25, as uh, the previous speaker has mentioned. But other than that, I don't have any further inputs, Chair. Okay. Can we then move uh, to... Clause number 16, 17. Thank you, Chairperson. Payment of, of amount offered as compensation. 17 sub 1. Subject to sections 18, 19, and 20, an expropriated owner or expropriated holder is entitled to payment of compensation by no later than the date on which the right to possession passes to the expropriating authority in terms of section 9, sub 2, or 4. Two, the payment, utilization, or deposit of any amount contemplated in sections 18, 19, and 20 does not preclude the determination of an amount by agreement or by a court, provided that where the amount so determined is less than the amount paid, 
the difference must be, my apologies, must be refunded to the expropriating authority together with interest at the rate contemplated in section 13 from the date on which the amount was paid, was so paid, utilized or deposited, 17 sub 3. Any delay in payment of compensation to the expropriated owner or expropriated holder by virtue of subsection 2 or any other dispute arising will not prevent the passing of the right to possession to the expropriating authority in terms of section 9 sub 204 unless a court orders otherwise. 17 sub 4, if the expropriating authority expropriated owner or expropriated holder has proposed a later date than the date contemplated in subsection 1 for the payment of compensation, the party proposing later payment may, in the absence of agreement, apply to court for an order for payment on such later date, and the court may make an appropriate order having regard to all relevant circumstances. 17. Sub 5, if value-added tax is leviable by a claimant in terms of Section 7 Sub 1A of the Value-Added Tax Act 1991, that's Act number 89 of 1991, by virtue of Section 8 Sub 21 of that Act, payment of compensation must be made by the expropriating authority only upon receipt of a tax invoice as required in terms of Section 20 of that Act from the claimant, together with confirmation of the tax compliance status of the claimant by the South African Revenue Service. 17 sub 6. The Minister may prescribe the information and documentation to be delivered by a person to whom compensation or interest is payable in terms of this Act in order to facilitate electronic pay payment thereof. Um, subject to you ordering differently, Chair, property subject to mortgage or deed of sale. I'm pausing to hear, Chair, whether that's all right. To do 18? Um, 18 uh, is a bit tricky because right. of... Uh, maybe let's deal with 17 or deal with Perfect. 18 on its own. Perfect. Uh, um, knowing that uh, there is a lot with 18, much as it's, it's, it's very short. Uh, can I then, um, Honorable Members, those that would like to comment on clause number 17, Honorable Graham Murray. Thanks, Chairperson. I appreciate it. Um, Obviously, uh, this clause is a bit problematic in terms of the fact that possession can, can go um, to the expropriating authority without compensation having been finalised or agreed to. Um, so we have an issue with the fact that, that the, the right to possession passes um, irrespective of whether or not the payment of compensation has been dealt with. Um, Agbers, when they made their, um, their inputs, were saying that in terms of um, subsection 2, um, a slight delay may be allowable in terms of sections 18, 19, or 20, but no other grounds should exist for, for the um, expropriating authority to delay payment um, in order to allow for possession. 
Um, there was a a matter a the Havaji case, and in that case, it was it was it was they needed to decide whether or not it was just and equitable for possession to pass before compensation had been paid. Um, and the court said that there, there are two there are two scenarios. Obviously, there is it just and equitable in terms of the landowner, or is it just and equitable in terms of the um, expropriating authority. In that case, they found it to be just and equitable in terms of the expropriating authority because the land was being used for socioeconomic development um, and there was no reason for there to be um, a delay in the possession of the land. Um, but where a delay may, uh, may unfairly prejudice um, the owner, then just, you know, a, a, then it's no longer a just and equitable process um, and that needs to be reviewed. So, this should only happen um, where a delay may, may unfairly prejudice the state and where it's just and equitable to, to do so. So this, this should probably be rephrased in order to ensure that there is adequate protection um, for either party. Um, uh, we cannot allow it where, where um, uh, you know, people are going to be evicted and they've got nowhere to live as a result of the state taking possession of their property. Um, that would be unfair. It would not be just and equitable. So um, there, there needs to be something done to address the fact that um, possession can take place without the finalization of compensation. And then under subsection 5, every essay raised the issue around tax and basically what they were saying is that the state should not be a tax collector for SARS um, and by by making a SARS, making it SARS compliant, they're actually forcing a person, an individual or a company that possibly owns property um, to, to submit tax returns. Um, I don't know how, how serious that is, but it is something that needs to be looked at. And then finally, under subsection six, um, we must ensure at all times, and I'm not sure if that's been looked at in terms of the legislation, because prior, uh, subsequent to this bill being drafted, the Poppy Act came into effect. So I think anywhere where there has to be um, the provision of personal information, we need to ensure that there's strict compliance to Poppy Act. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Pramara. Honorable Matebula. Matebula, is it a legacy hand? Yes, no, no, no. Um, Chete, uh, okay, no, I had my mic uh, off. It's not okay. a legacy, yeah. So I'm, okay. I'm saying that uh, I will I'll be just very brief, Chair. Well, we are a, a caring state. We are leading a state that cares about its own uh, people. Uh, my view is that uh, if there's that omission in terms of the uh, the interpretation by my, my colleague, the Honorable Samantha, that uh, uh, you know the state can take possession of a, you know a property and leave uh, the property owner without a shelter. Uh, I think I, I don't think that uh, as a state we we can do that. Um, as here it is indicated that if there are the circumstances under which you know there is a delay of payment. Uh, there are certain steps that need to be taken in order to remedy that particular uh, situation. 
And in this particular instance, I would say that uh, uh, even if the state may take position of that particular property, but then I'm sure that the the you know the the expropriated um, individual or, or, or whoever uh, will still uh, you know have a place you know uh, to be accommodated, whether the same place or elsewhere. But I don't want to talk more about the modalities because some of these issues are not issues of um, of an act. Uh, of the act, but uh, are, are just pure administrative issues. So I think, um, in my view, is that uh, um, what the Honourable Honourable Samantha is saying is talking about is now uh, encroaching on on administrative things that would have to be done once the you know uh, you know the the property has been expropriated by the state. <coughs> but last <laughs> You know, when when we talk about uh, you know uh, uh, you know that one needs to produce a tax certificate, um, or one is required to produce some evidence that one is paying SARS. Well, we cannot be seen as 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 parliamentarians, you know, promoting people not to comply with the law. We all know that uh, um, in terms of in terms of the law, uh, anyone who who earns, you know, uh, an income is, is required by law to, you know, to declare from to SARS that I am receiving this particular income each and every month or each and every year. Now, um, and you will not be, you know, um, you know, be promoting that as, as a state that uh, you will just give people, because at the end of the day, this particular individual, whatever the amount that you are going to pay, that money must be subjected to SARS and see to it if that money, um, you know, can pay a certain percentage, um, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, by SARS, to SARS or whether or not that particular money you know, um, or that individual, to, to be precise, um, has been, uh, you know, complying with SARS because we don't, uh, as a state, want to go around uh, paying uh, people who do not comply uh, or, you know, having an agreement or contract with people who are not complying with the law. If they don't comply with the law, they have to be made to comply with the law. So hence I say, Chair, it is, it is very important and imperative that the issue of uh, compliance with SARS um, is discovered this, uh, by this bill. Uh, it is supported. Thank you very much. Sir. Thank you, Honorable Thank you, Chairperson. I, 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 I think we need to be consistent uh, when it comes to what we, 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 when it comes to our oversight. Anyone is supposed to uh, uh, to to be compliant uh, when it comes to FICA documents, anyone is supposed to 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 submit those. 
but remember that um, we've had even the 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 runnings with the the, the department when they we asked them why when they in in in, in when they informed us that they could not pay even the non-governmental entities through the uh, for the EPWPs because they were not compliant. Uh, they could not even pay a certain service provider because the certain oh they could have been the breach of the law from the part of the officials because they paid a service provider uh, without the tax uh, 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 clearance or certain. So I, I, I think this one needs to be suspended. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Shabalala. Um, yes. Oh. Uh, okay, Honorable Chaba. Thank you, Chaperson. Uh, forgive me the opportunity. Uh, mine, I can say this clause make the issue of compensation more transparent and ensure that expropriation and compensation should confirm to other legal precepts such as tax and refunds. Thank you, Shabasin. Thank you, Honorable Jabo. Um, Advocate Fun Brother, any take on this one? Or Yes, Chair. Uh, I'd just like to, to comment, Chair, that Clause 17.1 of the bill is, is virtually identical to what's provided for in the Expropriation Act. Um, and that, as, as the committee is aware, the date of expropriation and the date of taking of possession of property are two different dates. So as provided in the Constitutional Court judgment of half a G. Um, it's not necessary for compensation to be determined prior to expropriation. However, in those instances where compensation is determined after expropriation, it must be done as soon as reasonably possible. Now, in subclause three, uh, it provides that any delay, rather, let me first refer to subclause one that an expropriated owner or expropriated holder is entitled to payment of compensation by no later than the date on which the right to possession passes. And subclause three provides that any delay in such payment of compensation to the expropriated owner or holder by virtue of subsection to any other dispute will not prevent the passing of the right to possession uh, to the expropriating authority unless a court orders otherwise. So, Chair, the, the committee could perhaps consider rephrasing the subclause to provide that the, the passing or compensation taking place after the passing of, of, of possession would be subject to 
a court order. But that is in the committee's prerogative. Thank you, Chair. That's Thank you, Advocate Van Prada, uh, for, for, for that note. We're noting it. Um, um, clause 18. Shrey. Thank you, Chairperson. I'm just paging up. Property subject to mortgage or deed of sale, 18 sub 1, if property expropriated in terms of this act was immediately prior to the date of expropriation encumbered by a registered mortgage or subject to a deed of sale, the expropriating authority may not pay out any portion of the compensation money except to such a person and on such terms as may have been agreed upon by the expropriated owner or expropriated holder and the mortgagee or buyer concern, as the case may be, after the claimant has notified the expropriating authority of the agreement. 18 sub 2. The expropriated owner or expropriated holder or the bondholder or buyer, as the case may be, must notify the expropriating authority by no later than 30 days from the date contemplated in section 9 sub 204 of the agreement and its terms contemplated in subsection 1, failing which the expropriating authority may deposit the compensation money with the master in terms of section 20 sub 2. 18.3. In the event of a dispute arising out of subsection 1, the expropriating authority may deposit the compensation money with the master and any of the disputing parties may apply to a court of competent jurisdiction for an order directing the master to pay out the compensation money in such a manner and on such terms as the court may determine. There you go, Chair. You may facilitate. Thank you, Honourable Members. Uh, clause 18, honorable members, uh, I, I feel that we must deal with clause 18 on its own, not combine it, uh, because when you go to number 19, clause number 19, you're talking of something else. Uh, honorable Grammar. Person. Um, all right, this is obviously a bit of a problematic one because um, in terms of the um, determination of compensation, there's no guarantee that the amount of compensation will cover the, the, the full balance of the mortgage. So there's no gain. Although um, the expropriation itself dissolves the rights in the land, it doesn't dissolve the contract between the landowner and the bank. And more often than not, mortgages are determined on the value, the market value of property, um, should the property be sold. So um, where a mortgage exists, um, and a compensation offer is made, or yeah, you know, once the claim has been put in and the, and the offer is made, it will, it might distinguish the full balance of the mortgage, but it might not, and that would completely unfairly prejudice the landowner or the property owner, who then might be insolvent as a as a result of not being able to, um, you know, take um, clear his mortgage, 
or might not even have enough money left over for him to be for it to be a just and equitable um, matter. And at the end of the day, there are people who have bought properties legitimately and who have bonds on those properties, um, and those bonds are are very high. Um, and agriculture, in particular, the farmers are a lot of them are. Um, hocked to the hilt um, to banks to cover costs, especially after seven years of drought. Um, and they need to know that those mortgages can be extinguished um, and that there is sufficient money left over for them to potentially start again or find alternative um, mechanisms. Um, and it, so, so what this does is that, that if it then becomes a dispute, often what will happen is that the banks actually wield more power than the owners um, and the banks will be unfairly um, What's the word? The banks will have an unfair advantage over private property owners. So there's a little bit of a concern around around this mortgage clause um, in that um, the, the, the concern relates to whether or not the owner of the property um, will have um, will be unfairly prejudiced when the negotiations happen with respect to the bond. So um, I'm not quite sure how it could be reworked. But it is something that we need to look at so that we are making sure that the bank's settlement isn't made um, and the owner then still owes um, owes the bank or receives absolutely nothing as a result. And um, one of the other concerns that was raised, and I think it was by AgriSA or Agbiz, who said that um, in the event of a dispute rising um, out of section, this is sub, subsection three, in the event of a dispute arising out of subsection one, and they were saying that a contractual, you know, the, an agreement in terms of, of um, you know, the value of a mortgage bond is not necessarily a dispute that needs to be determined by the bank, uh, by, by a competent court. Um, but there needs to be sufficient negotiations um, around this. And again, um, it's saying here that, you know, the, the bondholder needs to be notified, but they are not notified in terms of, subs of Section 14 of this Act. So Section 14 needs to make provision that at that point, um, the bondholder, the bank or whomever is engaged as part of the deliberations around this in order to justify the, de the de deliberations that happen under Section 18. Thanks very much, Chair. Thank you, um, Honourable Graham Murray, Honourable Matebula, Honourable Mashele. Yeah, thank you very much, Chair. Well, uh, one is well aware as we embark on uh, this expropriation uh, process, um, you know, um, that uh, some of the properties uh, are, most, are mortgaged. And uh, as such, um, there are plans in place to deal with that as per uh, the bill. Uh, I, I cannot see, therefore, a, a, a property owner being prejudiced uh, by uh, how the expropriation process is going to unfold. But uh, let me just uh, make this statement here. Um, in an event, uh, for instance, you've got a farmer who, who has got a, a particular piece of land and then because of, uh, you know, whatever circumstances that have uh, led um, uh, the owner to go to the bank and say to the bank, please uh, borrow me um, uh, 9 million rand, and then I hereby mortgaged uh, my, 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 my property. 
with this X uh, amount. And now, but that particular farmer has already paid out of the 9 million rent, uh, say something like uh, 5 million rent. So when we engaged um, with the, uh, you know, because you will not leave out the bank, for an example, uh, in this particular instance, and the, which happens to be the mortgagee and also the mortgager, who happens to be the owner of that piece of land. Um, uh, to say that uh, we say that this particular land is being mortgaged for so much, and uh, this so much has been paid. Now we are able to pay, uh, you know, if it is uh, even there, it, because it has to be uh, uh, equitable, it has to be just and equitable in terms of Section 25. Um, and, and we look at the value of the of the of the property, but we are able to say, okay. This is what you, you are being owed as a bank. Then we are paying you this five million rand, which is actually outstanding. And then we can therefore look at how much is the is the is that particular property property worth. Then from there we simply just determine as to uh, you know how much uh, that land is worth and how much have we paid and how much can therefore then the you know the uh, the owner, the property owner can be can be paid, and in that way, I can't see any prejudice against the the property owner. We also know that, um, you know, some of the properties um, are inheritances. Uh, there are wills um, on on them, and in some instances. You find that there are no ways on some of the, the properties. And there are ways and means in which that is why in, in this particular instance, you would also involve uh, the uh, you know the master of the high court, and then you are going to uh, have to approach the competent jurisdiction um, of the of the court wherein an order has to be issued directing the master of the high court to make a compensation paid, simply because that particular matter is because it's subject to a will or any, um, you know, arrangement as per the uh, the deceased who has actually left it to his uh, hair or her hairs. You know. So now in in this particular uh, uh, close chain, uh, we are saying that any steps that are going to be taken is going to be protective of of both the the mortgager as well as the expropriating, uh, you know, uh, state or expropriating, um, you know, authority that has been empowered by the by the state. I don't think we should have uh, any problems. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Chair. I think uh, Matebula explained uh, what I wanted to come and check. Chair, I don't think there's any ambiguity on this one. We, we, we must not assume that if Mashele has a bond of 10 million over a land of 10 hectares and the state wants uh, one hectare in that particular land, therefore it should be the responsibility of the state to make sure that the bond that Mashele owns should be paid off. It should be equitable. The land will be evaluated. So there is no way that less than what the land 
less than the value of the land will be paid. Therefore, I don't see any problem with a, the, the, the proposal uh, on, on 18 share, safe to say I'm in agreement with it. Thank you, Honorable Mashele, Advocate Van Prada. Yes, thank you, Chair. Uh, I'd just like to to mention, um, I think I've discussed it earlier, that what's provided in Clause 18 of the bill in respect of mortgage bonds is virtually identical to what's provided for in the existing Expropriation Act. Now, the, the bill is consistent with Section 25.3 of the Constitution, as provided in Clause 12, that the amount of compensation and the time and manner of payment must be just and equitable, reflecting an equitable balance between the public interest and the interests of those affected, having regard to all relevant circumstances. So the existence of a mortgage bond is indeed a relevant circumstance. And the bill also provides, or rather the Constitution, there cannot be an expropriation which is arbitrary unless that, unless um, the limitation of rights clause comes into play, if, it's, if it can be justified in terms of Section 36 of the Constitution. So that's all I have to say, Chief. Thank you. Thank you, um, Advocate Van Breda. Um, this really assists us in moving forward. And, and, and the, the reference to an existing act is also good because here we are repealing an act that is in existence and also trying to ensure that the act that will come out of this bill is in line with the current constitution. Um, clause number 19. Chairperson, we are busy with payments of municipal property rates, taxes, and other charges out of compensation money. Uh, 19 sub 1. For the purposes of this section, the charges referred to are municipal property rates, rate, tax, taxes, or other charges that must be paid in order for ownership of land to be transferred by the Registrar of Deeds to the expropriating authorities through registration in the Deeds Office, sub-19, sub-2. If land which has been expropriated is subject to the charges contemplated in subsection 1, the municipal manager must, within 30 days of receipt of a copy of Notice of Expropriation in terms of section 8, sub-2C, Roman 1, inform the expropriating authority of, 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 in writing of such charges as at the date contemplated in section 9 sub 2 or sub 4, provided that if the expropriating authority is the municipal council of the municipal municipality where the land is situated, the notice is not required. 19 sub 3, I'm just uh, moving the page so it's easy for all of us. A, the expropriating authority must, in writing, notify the expropriated owner or expropriated holder of any outstanding charges contemplated in subsection 1. 3B, if the expropriated owner or expropriated holder does not dispute the outstanding charges contemplated in paragraph A, within 20 days of notification, 
The expropriating authority may utilize as much of the compensation money in question as is necessary for the payment on behalf of the expropriated owner or expropriated holder of any outstanding charges contemplated in subsection 1. Subsection 4, if the municipal manager fails to inform the expropriating authority of the outstanding charges contemplated in subsection 1 within the period of 30 days as contemplated in subsection 2, the expropriating authority may pay the, the compensation to the expropriated owner or expropriated holder without regard to the outstanding municipal property rates or other charges. And in such an event, and despite the provisions of any law to the contrary, for A, the registrar of deeds must register the transfer of the expropriating authority. My apologies. The registrar of deeds must register the transfer of the expropriated property. For B, the expropriating authority or the person on whose behalf the property was expropriated, as the case may be, is not liable to the municipality concerned before or after such registration for the outstanding municipal property rates or other charges. And for C, expropriated owner, owner or expropriated holder, as the case may be, continues to be liable to the municipality for the outstanding rates and charges calculated up to the date of possession, notwithstanding the registration of the expropriating property in the name of the expropriating authority or person on whose behalf the property was expropriated, as the case may be. The next section is 20 that deals with the with deposit of compensation money with the master chair. I um, am giving uh, 19 to you for facilitation. Thank you, uh, Shreib. Uh, honorable members, any takes on 19? Honorable Mashala, is it a new hand or legacy hand? Thank you, Chair. Much appreciated. Chair, um, there was a court case um, called uh, Chwani, Chwani, City of Chwani versus PJ Mitchell. And in that court case, um, it, it was determined that um, it is unnecessary to consider whether the appellant's bylaws entitled it to refuse to provide municipal services to the new owner he takes transfer of property pursuant to a sale in execution only because of an outstanding historical debt. Essentially, what the outcome was of that case was that um, um, debt to a municipality could not um, prevent the transfer of the property to a new owner. Um, so I'm wondering why that then remains um, under Section 19.1, the charges referred to a municipal property rates, taxes, or other charges that must be paid in order for ownership of land to be transferred. So I'm not sure that that's still applicable in the light of that judgment and that you cannot still, you cannot prevent transfer of ownership on the basis of historical debt to a municipality. So I think that needs to be um, revisited. Also, it talks about other charges, payment of municipal property rates, taxes, and other charges out of compensation. That should be clarified because um, there should be there should be a limit on what charges are owed to a municipality um, if if they don't fall within um, the Municipal Systems Act. Um, and then um, under under sort of subsection four B, 
where it says if the expropriating authority, um, et cetera, et cetera. If the date of possession is later than the expropriation date, the municipality should not be allowed to hold the former owner responsible. It's not fair. In other words, I still, my property has been expropriated. The municipality, the, the expropriating authority has now taken possession of my property, but transfer of ownership hasn't been effected yet, but I'm still liable for costs to the municipality. So it's very difficult, however, in terms of the law to now hold um, the the um, expropriating authority who's in possession of the property but not the owner responsible for those rates and taxes. But somehow that allowance has to be made so that the the former owner or the person whose property is being taken is not being unfairly prejudiced because there's a delay in transfer as a, and, and, and the possession has already been affected to the expropriating authority. So I think that's something that needs to be looked at. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, um, Honourable uh, Kramare. Honourable Matebul. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Um, uh, Chair, well, uh, let me say that, uh, well, I think one, by looking at this uh, expropriation, uh, um, I would say that, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I can see, uh, uh, you know, the the payment of rates and taxes uh, to the municipality, uh, you know, being a barrier from uh, for the state to expropriate a a, a property. Um, however, chair, um, any property that has to be um, expropriated, which is owing to the municipality. Uh, you cannot just uh, take it in my own view, Chair, that uh, uh, that property without, uh, you know, uh, paying the the municipality uh, in terms of uh, property rates. Uh, there, there has to be, uh, you know, the settlement of what is outstanding that uh, the, the property has incurred in terms of the expenses must be paid to the municipality. Um, much as it is not clear uh, from the look of the bill as to how that is going to be done, but um, I, 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 can, I, I can say with certainty, Chair, that it will have to be uh, covered because we are a state and then we must follow the law and we are, such, we are custodians of the very same uh, laws that uh, must be adhered to. Uh, well, the... One last thing, um, uh, Chair, um, is that, uh, yes, the, uh, yeah, well, I think that is the matter that I wanted to uh, to talk about, Chair, on, on this uh, particular matter. Thank you. Oh, sorry, Chair, please, uh, please pardon me, Chair. I almost, uh, this is the point that I wanted to make. You know, if a, a property, if a, for instance, a property still belongs to me, and then there's a delay um, of the possession uh, that has to be taken over by the by the state, um, because the delay might be from me, or it's not specified, might, might be from the state or from that particular, or it might be uh, above our our power powers. But fact of the matter is that. Uh, the, the property still belongs to the person 
from whom the property must be expropriated. I therefore cannot see any prejudice if, if then as a person who owns a particular property that is to be expropriated, you still use water, you still use that particular property, um, you still, uh, you know, uh, stay in that particular property, uh, that you are made to pay uh, for something that you've been using. I cannot see that that can amount to any kind of prejudice. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, um, Honorable Matebula. Uh, Advocate Van Breder. Chair, I don't have any inputs in respect of that clause. Um, I think that the department would be best placed to respond once they make the presentation, Chair. Okay. Thank you. Um, let's go to clause 20. Yes, Chair. Um, just paging so that we can reach deposit of compensation money with a master. 20 sub 1. The expropriating authority must deposit the amount of compensation payable in terms of this act with a master after which the expropriating authority ceases to be liable in respect of that amount. 1A, if a property expropriated under this act was left in terms of a will or testament to an undetermined beneficiary or beneficiaries, B, if compensation is payable in terms of this act to a person whose address is not readily ascertainable or who, unless otherwise agreed, fails to supply the prescribed information and documentation for electronic payment within 20 days of being given written notice to do so, or C, if compensation is payable and the expropriating authority, after reasonable endeavours, is unable to determine to whom it must pay, 22, in the event of a dispute or doubt as to the person who is entitled to receive compensation payable in terms of this act, or in the event that an interdict prevents the expropriating authority from paying compensation to that person, the expropriating authority may deposit the amount of compensation with the master. 20 sub 3. Any money received by the master in terms of subsection 1 or subsection 2 must be paid into the guardian's fund referred to in section 86 of the Administration of Estates Act 19, 1965, Act number 66 of 1965, for the benefit of the persons who are or may become entitled to the, thereto and bear interest in the, in, at the interest rate determined in terms of section 80 sub 1b of the PFMA, Public Finance Management Act, 99. Act number one of 1999, and 20 sub four, a court of competent jurisdiction may make an order which it may deem expedient in respect of money received by the master in terms of subsection one or two. Um, Chair, I'm handing to you for facilitation. Thank you, um, Shoaib, uh, the last in terms of uh, chapter five on our members um, any takes on this one uh, on our grammar 
And on our table. Person, um, I, I don't have any inputs on this clause, um, and then I was just going to be um, a bit cheeky and propose that we start chapter six tomorrow um, and finish with this clause today. But um, that's just that's just me jumping the gun and being a little bit facetious. So I do I do hope you forgive me for that, but that would be my proposal. Thank you very much. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, no, thank you very much. Sir. Well, uh, I want to say I'm in full agreement with the uh, close uh, 20, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, taking care of the, uh, the people who are actually involved. Uh, when it has to be, and especially with the involvement of the court uh, and, uh, and the master of the court uh, in making and also money being deposited and made uh, available to, to the relevant individuals. When asked if there are some circumstances that uh, exist whereby there is no, uh, you know, a person uh, or the deceased is there, but the person has not been identified who happens to be the, the, in the head of that particular, uh, uh, you know, uh, property. And that uh, also, uh, in terms the, of the Public Management Act, uh, how those uh, payments are to be made and complied with. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Um, yes, Honorable Njobo. Uh, thank you, Shabasin. Mine is just to support uh, Honorable Matebula on this clause. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Jobo. Uh, 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 clause 20 is almost uh, uh, clear and self-explanatory. Um, but, Honorable Members, on, on the issue that is being proposed by Honorable Graham Mare, that we start with... Uh, okay, yes. Yes, Chairperson, I'd like to support Honorable Sam on Let's Start Tomorrow, the Chapter, chapter 6. Uh, okay, okay. Okay, but we have less days now. I think it's only two days for us to deal with the entire uh, with the entire bill, honourable members. So it means tomorrow we will take. Uh, I know uh, chapter five is long, and chapter five uh, it's where there is a lot to be discussed. But uh, we must try tomorrow and up uh, the pace that we're dealing with our clauses. Um, again, let me appreciate uh, the work uh, that goes to research and, and all that the honorable members are deliberating on here. It shows that they have read, they have case laws, they have read even the documents that have been provided to us for them to come here and make uh, the, their deliberations. And, and their views to be known. Also not forgetting that there are people that commented on this and we have also looked at that. Uh, we're still looking at that. The department will respond to us after we are through with them um, and all these things that we are referring uh, uh, like 
advocate Van Prater, uh, Honorable Graham Murray, and, and other members that uh, the Department of Christmas explained here. And, and, and on where we are agreeing that at least here, the, the way that this clause has to be changed a little bit, tweak there and then, to make it so that it's not easy for it to be challengeable. We really appreciate that, honorable members. Um, do we do we have any do we have any announcement? Uh, do we have any announcement, Miss Martinez? No, chair. Apart from the fact that uh, we're after tomorrow, we're also meeting next week on Tuesday as well for the same purpose. Thanks, Chair. Okay, thank you. I hope that Honorable Van Prater, Advocate Van Prater is noting that that will be meeting also again on Tuesday next week to deal with the expropriation bill. Um, honorable members, we are joining the parliament uh, later today at two. Please don't forget. Thank you again. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you, Chair.